welcome back to Rally DNA in association with our kind sponsor, Slip and Grip Automotive. Slip and Grip Automotive are a UK-based motorsport events organiser and members club. They host various event types throughout the year at a number of UK locations, including track days, sprints, tarmac rally testing and social events. They're the sole organiser for the Bont Rally Stage in Mid-Wales, a great tarmac stage providing great prep for crews before tarmac events in the UK, Ireland or further afield. To find out more, visit www.slipandgripautomotive.co.uk, the link of which is in the description of this episode, and be sure to follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Here at Rally DNA, we practically live in the rallying past, so it's no surprise that we love us some historic rallying. I'm guessing most of you listening do too. No doubt in part due to the increasing homogenization of our sport, historic rallying seems to be in a stronger place with every passing year, loved by fans and competitors alike. Here in Ireland, the Killarney Historic Rally is one of the highlights of the calendar, and the historic field on regular tarmac events seems to be packed out on a regular basis, with crews enjoying fantastic camaraderie and competition. The FIA European Historic Rally Championship is growing in prestige and now consists of nine rounds across a variety of surfaces. More and more show events are cropping up all over Europe, aping the success of the likes of Rally Legend, which of course we recently visited. However, getting out and putting on a show is one thing, competing in a rally that replicates the format of days gone by is another thing entirely, especially if you're in some historic machinery. This means big mileage, and not just rallying on a Sunday, but for up to five days. The East African Safari is one such event that has become a favourite of many, as attracting some big names at every running. Much, much closer to home, however, particularly for Jamie, is the Roger Albert Clark Rally, named in honour of the first British driver to win a World Rally Championship event, the RAC Rally of 1972. Now running for 20 years, this will be the subject of this episode of Rally DNA. Now we introduce the Gilles to my Hervé, to Duval to my Prevo, Mr. Jamie Arkell. Still beaming from having one of his gravel crew stickers prominently displayed on the front bumper of Andrew Nesbitt's Lancer WRC in San Marino, Jamie will be heading down to catch some of the action when the event kicks off very soon. But before that, he has to join me once again as we talk all things RAC Rally. And of course, we'll have a couple of guests along the way. Jamie, how are you, my friend? Wonderful, thank you. Uh, and, and thanks for that incredible introduction, mate. Uh, I don't think I can do that justice. <laughs> um, yeah, especially the the, the Penitzi, uh illusion as well that's cracking um yeah no very well very well uh really looking forward uh to getting down to the forests uh and also getting to some forests that haven't been to for a long long while um particularly the ones on friday um the likes of uh Hathren and my which i haven't been to for a good long while so yeah really excited how are you i'm very good unfortunately we're kind of feeling a bit of a FOMO coming on uh, as I won't make it over this year. Um, but I think I'm going to have to allocate some annual leave for two years' time. Unfortunately, it's all used up this year, so I can't justify the the visit. Um, you know, it's certainly one of those bucket list events. And as I said earlier, like it's it's growing in prestige more and more. And it started off as a prestige event. I mean, look, the first outing attracted you know Stig Blomqvist. Um, and yeah, I mean, now looking at it, and as it was last year, it's very, very difficult to pick out who's going to be the winner, who's going to be on the top step at the end of it. Because especially now there's more variety of machinery and it's such an endurance event, the man with the outright pace may not be the winner. Exactly that, isn't it? I mean, it, that's I think the very fact that there, there's been so much online, on and offline buzz around it this year. It's been completely palpable. Um, and I think it's hard to escape the the feeling that it really has gone from strength to strength in terms of um, 
public profile. Uh, and, and as you say, you need to look at the, the roster of drivers uh, uh, who are attending this year or competing this year, rather. Um, yeah, and, and I completely agree with trying to pick a, a winner. Um, it's it's a mugs game. So much can happen in the 350-odd miles between uh, tomorrow and Monday. Um, and let's face it, it will do because, you know, it's <laughs> the world and times might change. But if you're going to run a, a field full of escorts through the middle of uh, a British wood, at all times in the day, then things are going to go awry. So they can and will. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, we only have to look at the events of the past runnings, you know, to see that. And, you know, it doesn't take necessarily a mistake. You know, and, a, and it can and has taken small mistakes or only just going a little bit over the edge. But also with these historic vehicles, they're not necessarily as robust as modern items, particularly when you're herring through the forest for five days. Um, would you say that with the you know the absence of Rally GB on the calendar, that this is probably the you know the biggest event, the highlight of UK rallying now? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that probably says more about uh, contemporary uh, modern British rallying than I'd like, but uh, that that doesn't uh, detract anything from the RAC. It's an incredible event, but absolutely, there's no argument about it. Um, it's it just just the fact that it's it's such a an anomaly in in the modern world, as we said earlier. Your introduction, how everything's so homogenized, it's it's gloriously anachronistic, a complete throwback to uh, a very different time. Um, and you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. It's an adventure. You know, there's there's a lot to be said for for sleeping in the back of a car and eating uh, terrible canned hot dogs for for five days straight to watch rally cars. Um, admittedly, it's a lot more enjoyable looking back on me eating sausages in a car. But, uh, you know, you live and learn. Do anything to watch a Mark II Escort in a forest. Not the best for the cholesterol, but, you know, that's rallying for you. It's not necessarily the healthiest lifestyle when you go to spectators and you kind of throw the healthy eating out the window. I've been uh, telling myself and consoling myself that for every can of, you know, oak, hot dogs made from pig's eyelids and bubbles that uh, I burn it all off standing in the cold waiting for the rally cars. Um, there is that. But anyway, <laughs> I feel we've, we've segued from rally cars to processed meat talk. <laughs> rallying and processed meat, they go hand in hand, don't they? You know, I mean, what's a bit of rallying without a sausage and a roll or whatever, you know? Exactly. Exactly. It's a sticker right there. Um, <laughs> um yeah no absolutely uh it's 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 an incredible event um i'm ashamed to say i haven't actually been this will be my first time actually going um i i became aware of it i think i remember spectating wales gb uh in 2004 um with my dad and some fellows who were stood next to sort of encouraging uh me and my dad to go to this new event called the roger albert clark because it's such a uh, you know, what, what I aimed to do, you know, in terms of bringing rallying back to all the forests. Um, I, I, we never got round to it. Uh, you know, I, I, I yeah, I went away for, for a few years after that. But um, yeah, I, I need to, I need to set the record straight and I fully intend on doing it this year. Good stuff. Well, hopefully the next time out, I'll be joining you as well. Now, it must be worth mentioning before we get into this year's entry list, some of the previous victors, uh, a pretty illustrious list, as I'm sure you'll agree, Jamie. Uh, starting in 2004 with Stig Blomqvist himself, uh, someone we actually saw very recently too. Um, 
it's been very much a mark to escort rally until well the last time uh, it was ran basically. Uh, so in 04, we had Stig Blomqvist, Mark Higgins second time out, Jimmy McRae in 06, Steve Bannister, Malcolm Wilson, Gwyndaf Evans, uh, Stefan Stouff, Gwyndaf Evans again, uh, Marty McCormack, uh, Steve Bannister, Martin Ro- Matthew Robinson rather. 2017, Martin McCormack again. 2019, once again, Martin McCormack, the most winningest man on the RAC. And then last time out, Ryan Champion, who was to break the run of Ford Escort victories in a total Porsche-prepared 9-11. I completely get what you mean about um, the Escort domination, but I think it says quite a lot about the growing stature of the rally that you're, and of course, um, the the wider, more diverse nature of, of historic rally that you are now getting... Uh, such strong competition from other cars. Obviously, the Porsches, um, we've got Stratos and stuff this year. So I think, um, it, I mean, I don't want to count my chickens fully hatched, but it bodes well, I think, for the future of, of the rally and uh, historic rally as a whole. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, you know, when you think of historic rallying, the image of a Mark II Escort enters your head immediately. And look, obviously, there's an abundance of them. There's a lot of knowledge there. And some of the, you know, for want of a better word, exotic material, you know, they don't have as much support. So running things on the event is, is a bit more difficult. But now with you know, the rise in popularity and the rise in stature of historic rallying, we probably have a fair shot that there won't be an escort winner this year. Though, to be fair, there's plenty of guys out in an escort that could win it. Uh, we have other machinery and other drivers capable of taking the laurels. Um, as you say, this year now we have you know the likes of the Stratos piloted by uh, Seb Perez. We've got a multitude of 911s, Chris Ingram in a TR7 V8. Um, so you know there's there's every likelihood that Mark II Escort won't take the the victory this time out. Which you know it's kind of conflicting because it's always good to see an Escort win. You know you can't be a rally fan and not root for someone in a Mark II on some level. But it's nice to have a bit of variety there as well. Oh, completely. And let's face it, it's not uh, it's not taking away anything from from the escort to to say that you kind of fancy something else. When I mean, uh, if it was, you know, I'm sure we'll get to who we who we think or who we think might win very shortly. Um, spoiler alert: you may as well chuck a dart at a, at the board. Um, the car that I'm most looking forward to actually seeing uh, is the TR7, um, partly because it's such a a charismatic beast with a big V8 and stuff, but also because it's one of those cars that uh, I, I always fancied could and perhaps should have done a lot better in period if it had better budget and uh, and everything else, which of course it didn't because Austin Rover, British Leyland. Um, but uh, this particular car, the one driven uh, by Ingram, will no doubt be a lot better prepared uh, because it's done by David Appleby Engineering um, following the shakedown photos uh, the fantastic photos, in fact, taken by British Rally Media uh, over the last few weeks. And it looks like quite the beast, to be honest. Um, and, and ditto uh, the Perez Stratos. I mean, that's a car I've seen in various uh, Ancro rallies back in, back, back in the day uh, in various liveries. And it's, it's good to, to see it back out again after its um, uh, fiery incident a few years back. A suitably left field gravel crew esque choice of the TR7 there and showing your patriotic BL supporting side as well, Jamie. <laughs> I never thought of that. I mean, yeah, I like it's, a, it's like a, a Birmingham Stratos, isn't it? A Brummy Wedge, 
I believe so, yeah. yeah. I, I believe Chesley Fiorio did look over it and think, Christ, lads, we're on our uppers here. That's a quote. A direct quote, yeah. We can. It's it's not libelous to say that or anything, is but, it? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's I think, well, yeah, Chesley Fiorio is still around, so uh, he might be a litigious, but who knows. And recently, you know, spotted on social media, banging through like a, a rally sim as well. So he's still, still got it. So he's, he's still compass mentis enough to take us to court, is what you're saying. Okay, good. Yes, well. yes. Uh, well, you know, you maybe. Uh, Thank so. <laughs> you, <the> solidarity. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to go down a little bit further in the interest because I think a highlight for me is the Celica Twin Cam Turbo, uh, driven by Gregor de Mevius of Belgium. Um, and it's awesome to see that out. Like, it's such. It's it's kind of an also ran as well, similar, not quite in terms of, well, you couldn't really compare them to the TR7, but, you know, it was kind of designed for a specific purpose, not to compete on all fronts uh, in period. But um, yeah, it's great. A, a very different choice to break up the multitude of escorts. And the 911, of course, is very popular as well. But uh, yeah, I think that would be awesome to see. But uh, I think he'll be hard pushed to take the overall honours against the, the local talent. Yes, yeah. I mean, I've never, I've never seen uh, a twin cam Salika driven in anger, uh, only parked up at various shows and things. So that'll be quite something. Um, ditto the various Fulvias. Um, I, I love a Fulvia. I think it might be one of the the, the straight up prettiest uh, rally cars of them all. You know, uh, just a really nice dainty little thing. Took the words out of my mouth. Dainty describes a Fulvia absolutely perfectly. It's also, I think, the car that throughout growing up, I was. I, I, I was staggered when I learned uh, probably at the age of like 15 years of age that it was actually a front wheel drive car. You know, for most of my, you know, adolescence, you could have, I would have put all the money I didn't have on it being rear wheel drive. It should be rear wheel drive, surely. And yet, yeah, the more you know. Um, yeah, because yeah. was... there's so much when you go further down, you know, the the uh, the Jemison Chevette. Um, Jemison have a long history of, uh, of building Chevette rally cars. So it's good to see a HSR out and about. Um, and obviously an Escoda 400, so uh, GM, GM 1980s, well, well represented. Yeah, and and surprisingly, not a lot of sunbeams actually, but uh, and a couple. There's more than one Starion, which is nice. Uh, Pentiricle <laughs> would approve. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 as 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 we've said or alluded to. This is a rally where you know your car matters, of course it does, but really, like RACs of old, it's riding your luck having a good eye for the conditions and driving within within those conditions really and choosing when to push um so it'll be fascinating to see who who chooses who 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 plays their hand best i mean only a fool would bet against the likes of oliver solberg setting the timesheets alight quite early on and who knows he could well continue to do that for the entire five days and be sitting pretty uh, come Monday. But I think it's fair to say this is a rally that rewards experience and, and a cool head um, uh, as much as anything else. And it, it might perhaps be a, an older uh, and more experienced uh, person that emerges at the top. Yeah, and of course, Oliver can't count on the, necessarily the local knowledge that some of the entrants will have. And, and I think you're right. I, I think I'm going to throw out a, a bold prediction here. Oliver Salberg for the most stage wins, but not to win the rally. I wouldn't 
I wouldn't dispute that, to be honest, mate. I think, yeah, it's, it's going to be a... Th- I mean, it, heck, anyone who has an inter- internet connection and likes rally would have seen uh, the footage of him shaking down that uh, that escort at uh, Sweet Lamb a few weeks ago. And um, it was a joy to watch. And if he can keep keep doing that, and if the engine holds together, anything else holds together for the days, then you know, actually he will be the fucking winner. But uh, I suspect reality and poor luck and mechanical malady and who knows what else might uh, might might rear its ugly head. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say, look, there's plenty of other guys even that will try and put it up to him on pace alone. So I think with that all covered, maybe it's time to introduce a couple of people who are going to be competing at the event itself. What Before you do that, we all need to put our both put our necks on the line and say who we think is actually going to win. Um, and I think we should do it on the count of three and the say the same. We'll, we'll say at the same time because we, we don't know what each other thinks and we'll, we'll put our respective necks on the line. Ready? Okay. One, two, three. Oshin Ma- Price. Matty McCormack. We are. See, <laughs> there's nothing at stake and there's no money, but you know. <laughs> We'll see how right we are in a few days' time. Uh, but uh, look, it's it's very difficult. I mean, I have the entry list in front of me, and it's yeah, it's ridiculous, really. That it's it is an absolute lottery event, and it's a pr- the proper definition of a finisher's rally. So um, yeah, we'll see how it goes, and hopefully, I think there's going to be pretty good coverage. So I'm looking forward to to catching some clips, some highlights, and some photographs as the event progresses. I'll so, send you some photos when I've got trench trench foot trench foot at some point. On Friday night, you need to get the foot wraps on, man. You know, <laughs> Eastern Front style. So, with our predictions or gambles in place, uh, now it's time to introduce a couple of people who will be competing on the event itself a driver and a co driver, uh, although not in the same car. Uh, first up is Bryn Pierce, who will be sitting al- alongside television's Chris Harris in a total prepared Porsche 911. So now we welcome a man with no shortage of experience in historic rallying and someone about to embark on their fifth outing in the Roger Albert Clark Rally. With over 20 years of co-driving experience in a variety of mostly classic machinery from Escorts to Minis to Datsuns and many others in between. Uh, though if EWRC is to be believed, it would be his first time out in a 911 on this year's running of the event where he'll be found co-driving once again for Chris Harris from North Wales. Welcome along, Bryn Pierce to Rally DNA. Bryn, how are you? Oh, very good, guys. Thank you very much for having me along. Yeah, good. Thanks for joining us. No, obviously, as mentioned, uh, the, uh, you, you have years of experience uh, in the co-driver's seat. Uh, but of course, the RAC is rather unique in many ways. Could you give us an idea of, of the challenge of the event and how it differs from, say, the Nicky Griss stages or uh, of the Kalani Historic? Yeah, so, it, 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 I mean, the events change massively over the... Um, so 17 or 18 years since I first did it. So um, the biggest difference now to back in 06 when I first did it is it's all on pace notes as opposed to maps. So back then, a lot of your preparation would have been um, the knowledge you'd gained pouring over the maps, seeing which bits of the stages you recognised, et cetera, and so on. Now it's spending hours and hours and hours um, watching the uh, DVD um, from on the pace note in our case. Um, and uh, having a look at the notes and seeing what they look like and just familiarising yourself with the stages, really. And I suppose it's one of the slightly sad things about rallying, you know, in the UK, especially at the moment, is the amount of stages you can use are a little bit limited. So you you, you get almost a race circuit knowledge over some of them. But 
But that's that's the difference in the event from when I first did it and, and compared to something like the Nicky Griff. So probably a, a BTRDA event, you'd probably spend, I don't know, 12 to 15 hours, you know, prepping for it to do to do the job justice. In my case, there might be some people do more, some people do less, I'm sure. Um, the RAC, um, by the time you're doing all your movement schedules, um, although I'm a bit spoiled this year, I'll get onto that in a second. But um, um, by the time you're doing all your schedules and, and pouring over all the paperwork and familiarising yourself with the regulations, and then um, you know five days of notes, it's probably a good hundred hours worth of prep um, to to really do it justice. Um, and certainly, uh, two years ago when we did it, it was it, it was there or thereabouts. We we had a change of um, prep company about three weeks before the event so we kind of had to sort of scrap everything and start again two years ago um whereas this year's a a little bit different in in a, in a whole manner of ways in, in the way we've approached it yeah and w- would you see there, there other than obviously moving from the maps to the proper pace notes now what was the biggest change you found in the event from more six that first time out to, to today um, so the biggest the biggest change um, aside from the maps, I'll come back to maps in a minute. But um, um, the biggest change aside from the maps is the mileage. So from memory, I think oh six was about hundred and sixty stage miles, roughly. Um, don't quote me on that, anybody. But um, and this time with I think it's three thirty, um, give or take a few miles. Um, so you know it, it, it's double the mileage. Um, and being on notes, the whole event's an awful lot quicker. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you kind of, in in many ways, you break it down into five single days. Mm-hmm. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you almost approach one. You approach each day as a you know almost like a big BTRDA event. Although you're doing double the mileage of BTRDA event, it's probably closer to uh, an old Ancro round. If, if you remember the Ancro Championship. Um, similar sort of stage mileage per day, um, and it it really puts the service crews to test. You're allowed chase cars, oh, sorry, management cars. Going old school there again. Um, you're allowed um, management cars on the event, um, which yeah, I don't think you either on any other event in the UK now. Actually, thinking about it, um, so yeah, there's there's a there's a huge amount of differences in 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 that respect. Yeah, would you say it's Managed because it sounds looks from the outside as if it has. It's managed to sort of stay true to that original ethos of replicating or paying homage to the, the spirit of the original, i.e., you know, the RAC in terms of the the challenge, the the long haul nature of it. Yeah, no, it's probably um, ironically, you know, for an event that's dominated by um, Mark II escorts, although Porsche won it two years ago, initially, but it is dominated by Mark II escorts. It's in its in its nature and format. It's probably closer to an early 90s RAC so if you look at the 1991 RAC that had a you know a fairly similar mileage over over a similar time scale mm-hmm. um, so it's it's not quite like a 70s one where there was an awful lot of through the night stuff um, mm-hmm. that that just doesn't exist anymore sadly I'd be quite happy if it did personally but um it doesn't for various reasons health and safety and all that sort of stuff um, so yeah, so it's like an early '90s RAC, um, but dominated by '70s cars um, in the modern world, and it, it does hold true to the ethos. Um, 
I think from a competitor's point of view, absolutely. The spectators, evidently so. I, I noticed that the Thursday and Friday are sold out for advanced tickets already, um, you know, which is brilliant. Um, and I suppose it, the only thing you don't have that you would have had then, uh, back then, um, are sort of the the overnight ceremonial halts and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, but to do that, and as I know from sort of personal experiences with you know, what we did with Rally GB over the years, you need another whole team to do to do that sort of thing. You need councils on board, and and it massively adds to the cost and and um, the whole nature of organisation in the event. So, so yeah, it, it absolutely does hold true to what I say is an early nineties RAC. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And you kind of touched upon this there, but have you noticed that it seems to have grown in stature, um, or, or at least following? Uh, amongst the, the the sort of the non rally community, or perhaps the guys who aren't completely as uh, lockstep with it as we all are, have you do you notice that you know when you're actually competing within it, you know, in terms of the the the, the buzz about it? Yeah, um, you Compared do. Compared to earlier do, years, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot more people out there, so you do you do notice it. Um, oddly, you don't. Over the last few years, you haven't seen that many at surface halts and that sort of thing. They tend to actually be in the woods, which is quite nice. Mm-hmm. Although this year, I've, I've noticed you know there's a there's a bit more emphasis on places like Sweet Lamb as a service area um, and Walters Arena. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd hazard a guess this year those first two days in, in Wales are going to be absolutely rammed full of people, um, which, which would be lovely to see. Yeah. Yeah. And it's attracting, like, you know, as you say, into those woods at this time of year. You're seeing those crowds, but it's crowds of proper fans, really committed people to go and make that trip at that time of year into the woods, you know, spend the time out there. It's cold, it's wet. You know, we're used to cold and wet being rally fans. But, you know, taking that time to do that for an event like that is really encouraging that it's attracting those numbers and it really speaks to the stature of the event. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and, and sorry, just, just sort of slightly going back to Jamie's point as well, the, the sort of the, the casual fan, if you like, or the 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 non the non bobble hatter to, to turn a coin an old phrase. I think if you want to attract them, you'd probably have to go back to what I was just saying a minute or two ago, where you'd actually be taking it more to them. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's probably the one difference to a an actual Lombard RAC or, or network queue is that you don't you don't have the spectator stages. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, you know, back when the Roger Albert started 20 years ago, those spectator stages were catered for. Um, mm-hmm. From memory, I think there were sort of three or four um, that they used to do, um, you know, country houses and that sort of thing. So there, there is a slight difference, but but certainly for the hardened rally fan, um, I mean, I've got, you know, um, good friends up here who've never watched the event before uh, and are making the trip down on the Friday this time purely just because of the scale of the entry and the people who were doing it, you know, mm-hmm. you had a, a Solberg and a Meek and sorts of various other people into the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it kind of focuses the attention. We haven't, uh, we don't have a world championship round anymore. And um, it, it is by far the biggest rally in the, the, the UK. Sounds like we need a Mickey Mouse stage or two for uh, for all, all time's sake. Yeah, I mean... Back to Longley. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, uh, we've got that we've got that long trek up from um, Sweetland up to Carlisle on the Friday night, and uh, I was actually just talking with somebody about an hour ago, and I said you could really shoehorn a few spectator stages in on the run up there, and you drive them up. But um, I, I, I do want, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. From from what I've what I've done, you know, myself in the past, I can totally understand why Colin and the team steer away from them because the organisational side of putting on those spectator stages mm-hmm. is utterly mad, um, and and the infrastructure you have to put in place. So um, yeah, I can understand why they don't. Is that purely because the sort of double-edged sword of bringing the rally to the people means that you have to bring the rally to populated areas and therefore road closures and everything else get a lot more, you know, tricky? Yeah, so if you've got a, if you've got a local council on board, so, you know, we ran an event the other week, um, just, a, just a clubman target event and, and, and historic road rally. And we've got a very amenable local council who let us close off the high street and have arches and all sorts of stuff and, you know, um, bent over backwards to help us. If you haven't got that, it becomes very, very difficult. And, and certainly if you run a spectator stage in a, a country estate um, with the health and safety and the risk assessments and local council safety advisory groups and all that sort of stuff, you know, you, you're putting in miles of barriers, the costs, the manpower. It's just, it's a huge undertaking. Um, so, yeah, I can entirely understand why they wouldn't do it, yeah. You were 10th in the Open Rally and 3rd in class last time out, but now in a car identical to the one which took the overall win in 2021. So does this mean you and Chris are going to be trying to shoot for top honours this time out? The competition does look like it's going to be stiffer than ever this year, going off the entry, as you pointed out, a few big names and big cars as well. I mean, look, you know, we've got a, a mega, you know, for a rally that, as you said, it was an escort rally, a Mark II escort rally, specifically really for forever and ever, but now we've got you know, Perez is in the Stratos, a couple of 911s floating about now as well. Um, yeah, Chris Ingram in the TR7. Yeah, which is a lovely addition as well. Course, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, where, where, what's what's the goal for you guys this year? Get, um, getting to the end like every rally, obviously, and especially in a rally like this. <laughs> but um, We went, we went yeah. off on stage two two years ago, so that wouldn't be ideal, would it? But um, get, get to stage three at least this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not quite the same Porsche as the one that won it. We've got uh-huh. a bigger spoiler on the back. Oh, well, yeah. Quite the same Porsche. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, with, with, with Richard Tothill himself competing, I assume, like, I, I hope for you guys he hasn't kept the best one for himself and given you two the dud from <laughs> yeah. the back of the workshop, you know? <laughs> I, I believe, yeah, Rich is using the one that did win, as far as I know, isn't he? But mm. um, yeah, I, I genuinely don't know. Actually, so Chris uh, hasn't done a gravel rally since um, since we did that one two years ago. He did um, rally with no name on snow and ice back in March in uh, Norway, I think it was maybe Sweden. Can't remember um, which which he won. Um, don't know whether that means anything or not. I don't. <laughs> I'm not really sure, but um, yeah, we'll have to see. Ironically, I've you know you you alluded to some of the stuff I sat in before, and I've I've never actually sat in a nine eleven on a on a rally. So who knows is the honest answer. Um, the the rest of the the rest of the Porsches are running Pirellis. Um, we're on MRF, so there's a slight difference there. Um, I believe there's a chance of snow. Um, so who knows? Yeah. But ho- but hopefully think, not a repeat of the storm Marwin last year because you you guys were one of the crews trapped in Kielder Forest, were you? It, well, we actually made out the forest to be fair. Okay. So um, yeah. I mean, it, it's quite a long story that. So the stage that that was the last stage we went into, we sat on the start line. And actually, said to the, the I think he was the stage commander. I said, "We're not going in there, are we, guys?" 
And he said, yeah, 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 we're carrying on. I thought, oh, fair enough. And we sort of did about three miles in and then came around a hairpin right, spotted some radio cars at a junction, went maybe half a mile up the stage and there was a tree down and, and it sort of got to five of us cars all backed up and we sort of all shunted around. So only 10 minutes had passed and we went back down to this hairpin where the radio crews had been and it was deserted. Everyone had gone. So um, we sort of, it became every man for himself and we, um, it was sort of a, a very strange convoy of rally cars and management crews. Um, very few of them actually matched each other because all the phone masks had gone down. So where we ended up was basically where most people had run out of fuel. Um, I can't actually remember the name of the little village that we, or town that we um, all ended up by. Um, but yeah, we, we ended up on the side of the fallen down trees and the, the town was on the other. Um, and you could have gone into that pub that many people ended up in at about two o'clock in the morning. Um, but if you remember, it was just while COVID was still, you know, sort mm -hmm. of in it. I mean, I know it still exists now, but it was still quite prevalent then. And for, for various reasons, um, we went too wild on, on going into a, a space that was that, that full of people. So we thought, yeah, you know, the road will get open soon. And we got to about, about half four in the morning bear in mind everyone else had shot off down there at two o'clock and um i actually said to chris i couldn't stop my teeth chattering i said we need to we need to knock this on the head and go down there now so so yeah we got in there at about half four five o'clock to to the site of most people i knew who'd been drinking for several hours and uh, <laughs> um yeah they they thrust uh they thrust um a duvet and a pillow at chris somebody thrust a pint in my hand and <laughs> yeah it was um <laughs> cheered us both up immensely in different ways but um you sure the landlord yeah. wasn't down there felling trees just to sort of draw up business or something no 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 <laughs> landlady actually she was um, she was lovely to be fair to him and they made bacon rolls and everybody had a bit of a whip round for them for everything they'd done it's, um no it's it's memories like that from the rac that that you know you can't you can't forget and i've been very lucky over the years i've um you know i mentioned the, the first one I did in 06 was with a guy called Keith Cornell um, in in a very nice Mark II. And, and it was um, it was a long first day that finished up in Carlisle again, ironically. Second day started in, um, now I'll probably say this wrong, Bruno Welsh, it was either A or I Forest. I don't, I don't quite know how you say it, but, um, and it was, there was snow everywhere. And um, we were going through the stage. I think we were 18th overall going into it. And there were cars off everywhere. And I can remember mentally ticking off where we'd have been going up to. And I think we probably got up to about 12th, if I remember rightly. And we were just getting towards the end of the stage. And it and it on a straight piece of road, and it just sort of tipped slightly sideways onto what looked like a grass verge. But what it was actually was grass floating on water in a big ditch. Oh. Kept his foot in like all good rally drivers. But it just sucked us in and, and there was a tree stump at the end and hit oh. that. Bugger. went end over end down the stage Oof. and um it, yeah, it it knocked me out to be quite honest with you and um i can remember keith saying to me he said when the car stopped he said i looked across and you were slumped in your belts with a, a bit of a bloodied and muddied face because the screen had come in poor bloke thought he killed me or something it was just uh, it was mad but now you get you know i did the event in 13 with I don't know if people remember David Winstanley, who's who's much missed, who used to make a lot of the rally videos. Mm -hmm. I did it with David in 
2013, who was quite a character. And, and if you ever wanted lessons in how to do a big event as cheaply as possible and, and getting other people to pay for the privilege, David was your man. Um, it's just an absolute one-off, David. And, and the stories he'd tell you were, yeah, not, not for printing, really, and probably some sort of libel case could come out of those. <laughs> but, um, yeah, 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 no, it was... But we, we held off something then. Um, they've given you a positive history. The past RACs there, aren't they? And 14. That's great. 14. I was looking at a, a guy called Rudy Lancaster. And um, Rudy, back in the sort of early 90s, was one of the top Persia Challenge guys. And he came back into the sport in historic rallying. Um, and we did Rally GB National in 14. And then two weeks later, we did the RAC. And the overriding memory of that. So that RAC was the last one that was on maps. And and my background being a being a good Welshman is road rallies. So I was brought up on maps and potties and, and all that sort of stuff. And it was the last event on maps. And we were having a, a pretty good run, sort of setting sort of top three, top five times most of the Saturday. And we went into Kielder um, sort of late evening. It was a lovely night. I'm going to try and paint a picture with words out, see how we go. It was it was a lovely evening. Star, stars stars out. Um, one of those sort of crisp winter's evenings, and I can remember sitting on the start line actually and thinking this is quite surreal. You have your potty glowing away on your on your lap, the map below it sort of coming alive because I loved a map. It sort of spoke to me, and you could see all the contours coming alive, the hills mm-hmm. coming out of the map, and, stuff. and you could hear that BDG through the intercom starting to rev, and we sort of took off and. You go into the stage, you can smell the pine and you can smell the hot mud on the exhaust. And I thought, it just doesn't get any better than this. And our minute man was Steve Perez in the Stratos. And it was probably about, I think, three miles from the end of the stage, maybe a little bit, maybe four miles. He caught his taillights. And as all good drivers know, when you when you start seeing taillights, it's like a red rag to a ball. The red <laughs> mist descends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... We probably caught him after about a mile. And and all of those things that I've just mentioned, the potty, the smells, the noises. And then you catch a Stratos on the RAC and you can hear that engine through your intercom. You can hear the BDG and you can see its exhaust glowing out. I, I just thought that, you know, if I never do another event, that's as good as it gets. It was just magical, absolutely magical. And that... That, for me, was the ethos of the RAC, um, you know, because it truly then did hark back to the, the 70s when they were on maps. And, well, actually, they were on maps until, you know, 1989, weren't they? But um, mm-hmm. it, it, it just, yeah, it, it, it's a magical memory. And if you could, I think if you could bottle that or mm. bottle that and, and go around non-rally fans and go, have, have a sniff of this. Yeah. <laughs> If if you had um, a bit of a framed memory with a scratch and sniff thing on it, here you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it was just you probably gathered it. It's just still vivid in my mind. Um, that's incredible. Fi- yeah, fi- fifteen. I seem to remember I was entered with someone, but that's the one that got cancelled. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a bit of time off actually with, with various things. We had a, a little one and whatever and whatnot. And then Chris, sort of going back to to twenty thirteen. The company that ran us um, were building an M3 for Chris Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole event, he was messaging, saying, oh, David, it looks mega. I need to do this one day. I need to do this one day. And Chris and I did 
you know, we've done quite a lot of events over the years. I don't think people realise that there's sort of now a 10-year relationship where we've sat together. I think they just think that I've sort of lucked in by some measures and I've just sort of sat with him recently. But, you know, it's a 10-year friendship. And he finally decided after COVID that, you know, you've only got one life, so you know, you need to uh, make the most of it. Um, and that's how we ended up doing it in 21. And, you know, we've, we've alluded to the stories of sleeping in the car and and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. But I was... I know, I know it sounds a bit a bit strange, really, when you talk about someone like Chris, but Chris rarely drives on gravel um, and certainly not on ice without studs, you know. I mean, that rather mm-hmm. with no name, they were all on studs. So to say I was proud of him for what he managed to do um, back in 21 might sound a little bit odd, but, but it, it makes perfect sense to me because it's a huge, huge challenge. And to... To put your trust in someone when he's so used to circuit racing, where he's relying on his own senses permanently, uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's yeah. a big thing to do, and, and yeah. I don't yeah. I don't think that can be underestimated. So um, yeah, we'll see, I, we'll I remember that. I remember watching the videos when he just got the M3 that time. Actually, when it was on, was he was he on Drive Network then or one of those things on YouTube when he was? Yeah, he wasn't Drive. The initial the initial videos of the the thirty back in the day, That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, sweet man. Yeah, where we, where we lost the wheel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean that that E thirty M three. I mean, no one, no one. I was going to say no one who's saying that's a bit harsh. You know, if he hears this, he'll probably, probably have something to say. But but to pick an E thirty M three and build the gravel car, that's just not what you do, really. But he liked the thought of being different, and and I think perhaps he thought he was sort of Graham Middleton in nineteen ninety or something. He's about the only other person I can think of who used one on gravel. Um, it's not Francois Chaffier approved, is it? No, <laughs> no, no. Oh, actually, thinking about it, didn't Harry Vatnan use one on the Thousand Lakes? Maybe one year. He, he may well have done. Did. Yeah, and Mark Dewey had one in San Remo, so partly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was mixed. That was mixed. That year, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was mixed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do we um, wrestled a few decent results out of uh, E30s on gravel? Oh, did he? Oh, I missed that. Yeah, compare it like you know, not you know, different one in one as you wouldn't, but you know, the you know, it probably put it in a position that most thought wouldn't have been where an E30 should be on gravel rounds, you know. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, that's that's a fabulous car, that and that's sitting. Mm. Well, if you've seen Chris's book actually, that's come out um, in the last week, it's on the cover of his book, mm-hmm. so um, he's still got it and it's still sitting in his workshop. Um, as is the Escort that we used two years ago. He owns that car as well. Yeah, it's a nice car, that. And it's a, yeah, a, a certainly a somewhat obtuse choice for a gravel car, some would think. But uh, it's yeah. nice to see something other than a Mark II Escort. Not to, not to diminish the love for a Mark II Escort, but you know, you need no, a bit of variety. It's, it's just sitting there at the moment. The, the problem with those M3s is they're now worth so much, and the proper engines aren't the easiest to come by. So mm. if you do damage one, it's. Um, a big undertaking so he just doesn't want to take it out anymore which is uh, mm. which is a real shame but um, yeah there we go yeah. one of the one of, one of the unusual things i know you mentioned at the start of this that datsun 240z which i don't know that must be on ewrc that was uh that was a strange car to sit in as well the bonnet seemed to go on forever <laughs> <laughs> really odd. that made a nice noise as well if you're into mm. noise or something. yeah yeah, yeah. That's uh, the two forty is a car I sort of always associate with with footage of of oldie worldy RACs. I think it's because there's a photo of Tony Fall down the middle of a a gorge with a with a with a two forty, you know, seemingly 
at the bottom of it, both of them standing, obviously unhurt, but the car being seemingly miles and miles away from the stage. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's the 71 hour racing. That's yeah. it, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's upside down, wasn't it, the car? Yeah. yeah. One of the best rally videos ever, that, from Harrogate Estate. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We're nerding out here, aren't we? Probably getting a bit too much for people. <laughs> no, no, not, for, not for this podcast. We've, we've a, a niche, it's a niche home for niche people, so it's okay. <laughs> um, so what are you looking forward to most about this year's event and you know is there a, is there a stage that you're looking forward to the most it's a stage um, probably Meherin um, it's uh, it's a classic well actually to be fair Meherin or Krokan um, either of those or Krikan however you like to say it but I, I'm, I'm full of it so uh, Krokan for me but um yeah, either of those two, because they're, they're real stages. And um, Krokan was, two years ago, it was probably the highlight of the event um, for both Chris and myself, actually. Um, they're ones that, that flow, they have a nice flow about them, and they're, they're sort of what you call proper stages. Um, not not to do the other stages, I mean, they all are proper stages, but they're two personal favourites. In Wales, admittedly, you know, I might be a bit parochial with that one. But, um, it's okay. So. We can forgive yeah, you for that. Yeah, no, no, no. Stage-wise, that and and just you know the the, the real privilege of, of being able to do the event um, in the car that we're doing the event in, you know, which is on my. I have a little tick list of cars that I that I still want to rally, and that that was one of them, a nine eleven, and the and the other one's um, a Group A Escort Cosworth. Um, so I've, I've sat in, you know, I've been really lucky over the last twenty say twenty eight years, thirty years, whatever it is, how long I've been competing. To sit in most things, um, I ticked off the Delta box two years ago. Um, that was with Matthew, was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which I think was the first gravel rally after COVID, from memory. Um, so it's Matthew so yeah, Stedman. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, he sold the car now. Um, mm. But um, yes, that was a nice box to tick, and, and you know, I sat in a six R four years ago and, and stuff like that. So yeah, so a nine eleven and Escort Cosworth. If anyone's listening. After a co-driver for Escort Cosworth, um, you know, I'm sure the guys will give you my number. But, um, <laughs> no, and, yeah, as I say, it, it, I hate to use that word again, but it, it is an absolute privilege to be able to do an event of that mileage in this day and age. And, and you know, I must be honest, in this economic climate, because it's a very funny world at the moment, and there's people that would, you know, give their right hand to probably to have my seat actually to be fair but um <laughs> but, but to do the event in general um you know and there's, there's only 180 of us um, you know, 360 people if you like to get in that chance and you know i don't want to tempt fake but who knows if if we'll ever get a chance to do an event that big in the uk again i think you know, it's getting ever harder for, for clubs in general to organize events mm-hmm. regardless of the length yep. um, the environmental lobby has a bigger and bigger say in things um, we live on a, a very crowded island, so make, making the most of it while we can, I think, is the best way to put it. Yeah. Spot on. Bryn, thanks so much for giving us your time. We wish you the very best of luck for you and Chris on the event. We'll be following the event in a sure very closely. I think Jamie's planning on getting down anyway, aren't you? I think I'm going to try and get down Friday, yes. No, no, do come and say hello if you're in the service. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially now you've told me how to pronounce uh, Kraken. I've been saying Kraken all my life. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
it's one of those things, really, where you sort of have to really sort of phlegm up the back of your throat. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, different ways of saying things. Nothing's wrong as long as, uh, as long as it's nearly right. Then the anyone's going to complain, are they? <laughs> Thanks again for coming on, man. And of course, as well, and I'm sure there's many. I know there's more than a few competitors that listen to this that who might be in need of a custom race suit in the future. You might be a man, man to contact as well. Yeah, so I mean, that's actually the, the day job. Um, so we, um, on the UK mainland, we're the agents for Marina Racewear. So um, if anybody's looking for a custom suit, um, I'm sure we can look after you and do you uh, some sort of crew package that's uh, amenable to everybody's pocket. Brilliant stuff. Bryn, thanks again for your time and best of luck thanks, on the RSC. Thanks ever so much for having me. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Next, we are speaking to another Welshman, this time 2022 British Rally Champion, Ashwin Price, fresh from a win on the continent in an I-20 Rally 2 with Stefan Prevo on the notes. Now he's swapping four-wheel drive for two-wheel drive once again in the form of a Mark II Escort. Ashwin, welcome to Rally DNA and thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So, uh, Ashwin, you were quite uh, a late entry to the event. Um, what, what led you to pull, pull this together uh, and throw your hat into the ring? It's an interesting one, really. Um... I'd had obviously my friends and everybody that was involved since last year. They've all been, um, they've all been sort of banging on about it really all year. And to be fair, I'd I'd stuck to stuck to my guns and I said, look, I'm I'm concentrating on other things. I'm not going to go and do it. Um, I'm also trying to build my own car, which I've completely neglected because I'm doing other things. So I thought that should really come first. But there was just. You know, even after the the Meek and the Solberg announcements, I still really wasn't, you know, you know, there's nobody really dangling any carrots or anything. But um, I think it was just uh, we went to, like you said earlier, we went to Sardinia. Uh, we had a good run there. We also had a good run, obviously, in Rally Caradigion. And uh, I think it was my my partner said, "Well, you may as well do the RAC then." And uh, and she, and she kind of said it like that. I thought, you know, you may as well end the year off on a high and. Uh, I didn't really register initially, and I thought, yeah, yeah, whatever, as as you normally do. And I and I wasn't like I say, I wasn't really planning to do it. So I sent a I sent a text message to um to Grant Chant, who whose car that I'm using uh, on the rally, and uh, I knew full well that the car that I'd used last time um, was already hired out. So I thought, well, that's 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 me done. So I kind of had that in the back of my mind. But I thought I'll just send him a text just to see, um, just to see, you know, has he got a car available? And you know, I can put it to bed then and tell everybody, look, he hasn't got a car. Um, I sent him a text one Sunday morning. He said, "Yeah, yeah, I'll find you a car." He said, and I thought, oh god, maybe not the answer I was looking for. <laughs> um, so it kind of led from there. Then really, um, my best friend Rodri, who's co-driving for me, said. Come on, you've got to do it. And I said, Well, look, if you if you help me find some budget, then we'll we'll agree on that. And if if we get to those points and in, in, in target, you know, we'll have a go. And if it happens, it happens. So um uh, again, I, I went in touch with Colin Heppenstall and said, No, can I get an entry? He said, Yeah, there's there's a there's a couple left because obviously there was a few dropouts and it all kind of escalated very quickly. And as soon as you start getting a few uh, sponsors on board, you know, they all sort of followed. Um, we had, you know, a spell of 
things coming in quickly and then there was dry patches where nothing was happening for weeks. Um, but it's all come together really in less than six weeks. So it's been a lot of work um, and doing other bits and bobs in between and thinking of next year um, and getting engaged in the middle of it. So it's been a hectic two months really. Well, congratulations uh, to, to cap all that off. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Quite an achievement to to pull that together in in that period because that was going to be my next question. When when was that phone call made? To to, to by the time you'd actually gotten everything, getting the entry in. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm trying to think when it was. I I think from now. I think it's eight eight weeks from now. I think it uh, it actually started. Um, Solberg and and Meek had already been announced, uh, and I think there was maybe like a week or something after that at least. Mm-hmm. Um, before I'd even started, you know, that was literally the the text message to to Grant, and and that was it. The rest, the rest sort of came to life maybe a week or two later when things started to actually roll and talk about tires and sponsors and bits and bobs like that. But you know, it all it's all come together. Still, still a few things to do as there always is. But um, if anything, um, we're probably a lot more prepared than last time. Um. Last time we were going for the British Championship and I had three three events on the bounce, I think. Um, one was obviously a test for the RAC. Then we went to Ulster to to concentrate really on the British Championship. And then we had like a few days and we were straight into the RAC. So this time I've been able to sort of live it and breathe it um, for weeks really. So it's been, it's been quite nice. Will you be able to draw on your experience from competing in 2021? Uh, and I... I hasten to worry, worry about asking this, but can you talk us through how you managed to retire from the, from the 2021 event? I know it was a fairly sudden. Yeah, I, we were chatting again today, uh, myself and, and Rodri, my co-driver. He, he was actually um, my one of my mechanics last year. And even he said from from being <clears throat> in a... He was in the chase, chase van last time, chasing around after us. So he even he's got stuff that he remembers and little tricks to you know he knows what he's up against even though he was sort of on the other side of the fence as such mm-hmm. but you you remember things and you know you know how things go what 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 happens what unforeseen there is and you know really as well what gets hammering and what what you need to be careful of what you need to preserve um and obviously coming back to this the second part of your question i don't think anything could have doesn't matter how much preserving we did of the car. Um, you know, what happened happened. Obviously, the the stub axle broke on the, the first stage of the final day. And we don't really know why. Um, obviously, there's a lot of people with speculation, but it's one of those, it's one of those things. You have to take it on the chin um and then learn from it and hope to God it doesn't happen again this year. One of those it's it's rallying moments that doesn't make it any any easier to swallow, I imagine. No, I it was one of those. Uh, we were in a bad run. We've had a we had a poor couple of weeks, um, and and I do think you know if if luck's with you, it's with you for a while, and when it's not, you you're in it. You've got to see it out, really. And it was one of those. It didn't surprise me when something went wrong. That our luck was was pretty much all run out. But like you say, it is rallying. Um, it, that's as cruel as it gets. You know, you've done you've done all the hard work. You probably on the easiest day of the rally um if you took the ice away but in terms of of day, uh, days rallying it was it was fairly straightforward so yeah it happens um you learn from it as well which is good so um every day is a school day when you get in a rally car to be fair 
it must be an advantage this year, like other than other than him being your best mate, having Rodri alongside you. Given that he was spannering last year, it will be, I'm sure, a useful, useful uh, tool to have, you know, on road sections and everything, just to go over maybe what what's what the rally's doing to the car, stuff he can keep an eye out for as well, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, he's he's um, he's actually rallied in this car with Grant himself this year. So he's done Corsica, Costa Brava, all these uh, long events. So, you know, he's up to speed with with co-driving and, you know, he's done a lot of rallies this year, uh, probably more than me, really. But yeah, it, it does help when you have a crew in the car that, that knows what the rally's about. I mean, we were chatting today, as I said, you know, we were quite naive last year. Yeah, we knew we had a five-day rally. Um, the only thing that I knew really was was the car and, and a few stages, but... um. You know, this year we've got so much, um, so much more to think of and uh, material almost to sort of plan and, you know, get things in place and be a bit more organised and and be a bit more relaxed about it. Because obviously, when you're relaxed, um, you know, the stage times will be there. So, yeah, it just it's like anything really. Like when I've done world championship events, you go back for the second year and everything's just easier. Just just because you've been there for 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 the previous year, so. Yeah, it definitely does help, and like I say, it helps that both of us have been uh, been there and experienced it before. You mentioned, that... sorry, go on, Jamie. Well, I was going to say it's a it's a pretty star studded entry list this year, um, and without sort of you know getting away, or carried away and thinking of the of the end already. Have you have you earmarked who you think might be your toughest opposition? Well, I think I think it's a tricky one to sort of rule anybody out. Really, I think I worked, uh, I counted on the entry list. I think there's about you know at least twelve people that can uh, win the rally on speed alone. Um, but as as you know, you've only got to look. Last time, the the car that won the rally, you know, wasn't the fastest car at all. I don't think it won any stages up until the, to the point that both Paul and myself retired. So, yeah, there's there's not going to be one. One person, um, anybody in the top ten, really, you need to keep an eye on. There's there's people ahead of us, you know. The the big names, Matty's obviously car one. He's he's multiple winner of this rally. Jason is a car behind us, and you know others that that, that are going to follow suit. Richard Tuttle as well has had a successful year, so you can't rule anybody out really. Um, but I think it, the the winner of the rally will probably be the smartest driver. I would have thought. Um, Otherwise, if the the fastest man does win, um, but on pace alone, I think they should probably do a lottery ticket because this rally does bite, and uh, not not everything goes to plan, and uh, you have to use your head. You can't just drive uh, balls out and hope for the best. Uh, in my opinion, people might disagree, but um, you have to you have to sort of take calculated risks. I would have thought. It's one of those events where the toughest opposition is the rally itself, really. In this case, when you have these these big five day events, it's uh, yeah, it's key to never, as you said, the fastest guy probably isn't going to be the fastest right at the end because the car mightn't have lasted to the fourth day at that point. Yeah, no, it's, it it is is it is exactly <clears> that, and you know, you look at so the last time the elements and in terms of the weather, um, that just threw a massive massive curveball, um, and to be fair. If if anything, even though that I was underprepared last time, I I said to myself, if I'm two and a half minutes uh, behind coming into Wales, I said I can make that back. Um, and I made, I lost I think two stages locally here. Um, 
my home stages because of the obviously the weather and the trees had been blown down. But I was three minutes behind coming into Wales. And after the first day in Wales, I was only a minute and a half. Uh, no, minute, I think, just over a minute um, behind going into the last day. So plan was, was was working fine. But like I say, wheel decided others, other, you know, he wanted to do other things. But you've got to have a bit of a game plan and, and know when to push, when to preserve and so on and so forth. Would it, uh, this kind of links into what you're saying there, would it be safe to assume that you're looking forward to Thursday and Friday stages, most of all, given their sort of home stages, as it were? Yeah, I'm looking forward to them. Um, I'm not actually going to do a test, which is a bit of a shame, but it, it's it's probably easier for me, being that I'm not testing, to to go into some familiar territory. And they're not easy stages, but I think they're a bit... Um, they're a bit sort of more straightforward than the ones up north. I hope I'm not jinxing myself there. Um, but you can sort of get a bit more of a feel to the car on these stages. Um, and I'm not really, like like a lot of people really, I don't do much rallying up north. Um, and I haven't done since the RAC. Well, actually, I haven't driven an Escort since since the RAC last time. So, um, But yeah, the, the stages up there are, are a lot more challenging for me anyway. Um, and you can't throw the car about as much to get a feel. So it's good that we're starting in Wales. Initially, I thought it would have been nice to finish, but in the circumstance that I'm in, I'm I'm glad that we're starting in Wales and we can just, you know, get a bit of a rhythm. And uh, hopefully by the time we get to the the long days and uh, the, the narrow tracks and rough bits in Kielde, then we'll uh, hopefully have a handle on the job by then. There's the uh, the, the inner, inner rally geek in you sort of get a bit of a, a kick from from competing on Pondershore and Kielder because I think I would you know just the history and the weight of it all. Yeah, I, th- I think we we as drivers we take it for granted really, but uh, it's only until you sort of see like old footage of years gone by and you, you kind of recognise and even like old photographs and stuff that that I see from around here you know the stages uh, that we used last time are only a stone throw from from the house here and you see photos from 40 years ago and you think blimey that's that's me now in, in the current day and that's sort of when it you know gives you a bit of a reality check really. Your first uh, long haul classic event although, although one very different from the forests of Wales and the north of England was the East African Safari Classic in 2019. Did that give you any sort of, you know, did it stand you in good stead going into the, the first RAC you competed in? And, and do you think you could take away some similarities from that event to the likes of the RAC? Yeah, to be honest, it, it really did. Um, that was obviously an extreme case of the other side of the fence where you really have to preserve and and I think like um I think there was a, a saying that Bjorn Waldegard used for the safari, if you think you're going slow, you need to be going slower. Um and and that's that's kind of what happened. And when Stig Blomfist did the safari when we were there, he was just consistently sort of top five times, never having to be fastest, but as time went on, he was uh, ramping up the speed and you could see it, you know. And I, I remember sort of um noticing that and having the same sort of mindset coming into the RAC in, in 2021, you know, and uh, I knew I wouldn't be the the fastest man um, given the circumstance that I was in. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to say that I probably won't be the fastest man uh, out of the gate uh, next week, but I know, I know what's needed. I know what 
to do and what not to do. So um, when you do events like that, that only uh, you, you know that you need to be at the end of every day. It doesn't matter where you are, but you know to to be first at the finish. First, you have to finish, as they say. So um, yeah, it's it's good training. Absolutely. And and sort of to wrap things up with with the start of the rally, very much within sight now. How do you? physically and mentally prepare for, for an event like the RAC in you know the last few days or so before it? Do you just treat it as you know kind of just another rally and not think about it too much or or is there more pressure? Yeah, and I, for me it'll just be a case of another rally. Um most of it for me will be preparation. Um you know if I've done all the, the, the notes. I think I I didn't really get on with the 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 organizers notes last year. Um and again I've put a lot more time into them this time and hopefully things will flow a bit better. Um, but it's I tend to prepare for every rally the same, um, but obviously the scale of this one's slightly more because there's more days, there's more mileage, there's, there's more things to think about, more variables with the management crew. So um, I'm quite an organised person. I, I, I like to be the sort of the main link in the chain and if anybody wants to know anything, then I get on the case and throw that in the mix with trying to find sponsors and get people on board. It's it's just business as usual, just like I say, uh, a bigger scale and um yeah, a lot more to think about. <laughs> how oh, many we... how many hours do you reckon of DVD watching you'll have done before you start? Uh well so far, just to give you an idea, it's a it's a bit it's a bit more than I anticipated work wise. So between Roger and myself so far, um, I've gone through the notes once, amended everything, um, and he's now tidying up the notes after we've only been through them once, basically. So um, he's tidying them up so he can read them because there was a lot of changes and a lot of taking stuff out. I'm tr just trying to simplify them, really, because when you're at speed, you, you can only have so much information. And then where there is information, you need to you know make sure it's well-marked. But I think we're up to... Uh, about 35 to 40 hours that we've put in between us so far. Uh, it might even be more, to be honest, by now, because I know Roger's been been, uh, been working away and he's actually taken them away with him. Um, but we're actually going through them tomorrow night um, for the first time together. So, yeah, I I don't know. It's going to be probably, yeah, 50 to 60 hours, I thought, of, of work um, from start to finish, I would have thought. Old school. <laughs> Well, I think that, that probably brings us to a close on that, Ash, and we've, we've had a prep to do. We'll leave it there. Thanks very much for coming on. Very best of luck from the 23rd when we kick off. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the rally, and uh, hope you have a good time there and get to the end. Yeah, spot on. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much, Bryn. Thank you very much, Oshin. Um, both appreciate you giving us uh, some of your time, especially in the in the weeks leading up to such a, a grueling event. Um yeah, me and Killian uh, both can't wait to be watching the rally. Uh, him from slightly further afield. Uh, I'll be there for a few stages, hopefully, uh, on Friday. And, yeah, hopefully see you all there. Good luck to everyone involved. And let's see who, uh, who emerges victorious in a few days' time. I don't think I can add anything to that, Jamie. All I can say is uh, the very best luck to everyone competing and everyone going out and spectating. Have a good time and enjoy what is a fantastic event. You've been listening to Rally DNA once again. We'll see you the next time. I'm Killian Cronin. I'm Jamie Arkell. All the best. Goodbye.